Chapter Twelve of the Wheat Princess by Jean Webster. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The week following Easter proved rainy and disagreeable. It was not a cheerful period, for the villa turned out to be a fair weather house. The stone walls seemed to absorb and retain the moisture like a vault, and a mortuary atmosphere hung about the rooms. Mr. Copley, with masculine imperviousness to mud and water, succeeded in escaping from the dampness of his home by journeying daily to the ever-luring embassy but his wife and niece more solicitous on the subject of hair and clothes remained storm-bound and on the fourth day mrs copley's conversation turned frequently to malaria marcia who had taken the villa for better for worse steadfastly endeavoured to approve of it in even this uncheerful mood she divided her time between romping through the big rooms with gerald gervasio and marcellus and shivering over a brazier full of coals in her own room to the accompaniment of dripping ilex trees and the superfluous splashing of the fountain her book was the egoist and the egoist is an illuminating work to a young woman in marcia's frame of mind it makes her hesitate she knew that paul dessart in no wise resembled the magnificent sir willoughby and that it was unfair to make the comparison but still she made it as she stood by the window gazing down on the rain-swept campagna she pondered the situation and pondered it again and succeeded only in working herself into a state of deeper indecision paul was interesting attractive as her uncle said decorative but was he any more or was that enough should she be sorry if she said no should she be sorrier if she said yes so her mind busied itself to the dripping of the raindrops and for all the thought she spent upon the question she wandered in a circle and finished where she had started the monday following easter week dawned clear and bright again marcia opened her eyes to a bar of sunlight streaming in at the eastern window and the first sound that greeted her was a joyful chorus of bird voices she sat up and viewed the weather with a sense of reawakened life feeling as if her perplexities had somehow vanished with the rain she was no nearer making up her mind than she had been the day before but she was quite contented to let it stay unmade a little longer the sound of horses hoofs beneath her window told her that her uncle had started for the station when he was away and there were no guests in the house marcia and mrs copley usually had the first breakfast served in their rooms accordingly as she heard her uncle gallop off she made a leisurely toilet and then ate her coffee and rolls and marmalade at a little table set on the balcony it was late when she joined her aunt on the loggia mrs copley looked up from an intricate piece of embroidery good morning marcia she said returning her niece's greeting yes isn't it a relief to see some sunshine again i have a surprise for you she added a surprise asked marcia my birthday isn't coming for two weeks but never mind surprises are always welcome what is it it isn't a very big surprise just a tiny one to break the monotony of these four days of rain i had a note from mrs royston this morning it should have come yesterday only it was so wet that angelo didn't go for the mail she paused to rummage through the basket of silks i thought it was here but no matter she says that owing to these dreadful riots they have changed all their plans they have entirely given up naples and are going north instead on a little trip of a week or so to assisi and perugia she wrote to say good-bye and to tell me that they would get back to rome in time for your party though they are afraid they can't spend more than two or three days with us then as the change of plan involves some hurry they leave on wednesday that is too bad said marcia and with the word she uttered a sigh of relief paul would go with them probably or at any rate she need not see him it would postpone the difficulty 
but where is the surprise she inquired oh the surprise mrs copley laughed i entirely forgot it i was afraid they might think it strange that i hadn't answered the note though i really didn't get it in time so i asked your uncle to stop at their hotel and invite them all to come out to the villa for the night i thought that since we were planning to drive to the festa at genazzano to-morrow it would be nice to have them with us i am sure they would be interested in seeing the festa marcia dropped limply into a chair and looked at her aunt is mr dessart coming too i invited him certainly what's the matter aren't you pleased i thought you liked him oh yes i do only i wish i'd got up earlier and then she laughed the situation was rather funny after all she might as well make the best of it suppose we send over to palestrina and invite m benoit for dinner she suggested presently i think he is stopping there this week and it would be nice to have him i suspect she added that he is a tiny bit interested in eleanor a note was sent by a groom who returned with the information that he had found the gentleman sitting on a rock in a field painting a portrait of a sheep that he had delivered the note and got this in return this was a rapid sketch on bristol board representing the young frenchman in evening clothes making a bow with his hand on his heart to the two ladies who received him on the steps of the loggia while a clock in the corner pointed to eight marcia looked at the sketch and laughed here's an original acceptance aunt catherine mrs copley smiled appreciatively he seems to be a very original young man she conceded naturellement he's a prix de rome when frenchmen are nice they are very nice said mrs copley but when they are not words failed her and she picked up her embroidery again at the midday breakfast marcia announced rather hopefully that she did not think the roystons would come why not her aunt inquired they've lost their maid and there won't be anybody to help them pack if they come out to the villa to-night they won't be ready to start for perugia on wednesday besides mrs royston never likes to do anything on the spur of the moment she likes to plan her programme a week ahead and stick to it oh i know they won't come she added with a laugh Monsieur benoit will be the only guest after all and i've ordered dinner for eight said mrs copley pathetically i am thinking of driving over to the contessa's this afternoon i might invite her to join us oh no aunt catherine please not to-day if the Roystons should come there'll be a big enough party without her and anyway she wouldn't be particularly interested mr sybert isn't here the contessa comes to see us not mr sybert mrs copley returned with a touch of asperity marcia smiled into her cup of chocolate and said nothing while the sun was sunk in its noonday torpor she stood by her window gazing absently off toward the old monastery engaged in a last valiant struggle to make up her mind she finally turned away with an impatient shrug which banished paul dessart and his importunities to the bottom of the dead sea there was no use in bothering any more about it now mrs royston's mind at least was no weathercock marcia clung tenaciously to the hope that they would not come it was a beautiful afternoon fresh and sparkling from the week of rain and she suddenly decided upon a horseback ride to brush from her mind all bothersome questions she got out her riding habit and jerked the bell-rope with a force which set bells jangling wildly through the house and brought granton as nearly on a run as was consonant with her dignity and years it's nothing serious marcia laughed in response to the maid's anxious face i just made up my mind to go for a ride and in the first flush of energy i ran louder than i meant 
it's a great thing granton to get your mind made up about even so unimportant a matter as a horseback ride yes miss granton agreed somewhat vaguely as she knelt down to help with a boot how in the world do those soldiers in the king's guard ever get their boots on marcia asked i don't know miss said granton patiently marcia laughed send word to the stables for angelo to bring the horses in fifteen minutes i'm going to take a long ride and i must start immediately very well miss immediately marcia called after her in dealing with angelo reiteration was necessary he was an italian and he still had to learn the value of time she tied her stock before the glass in a very mannish fashion adjusted her hat with the least perceptible tilt and catching up her whip and gloves started out gaily humming a snatch of a very much reiterated neapolitan street song yamo and a copa yamo ya funiculi funicula it ended in a series of trills she did not know the words at the head of the stair she met granton returning granton stood primly expressionless waiting patiently for her to have done before venturing to speak marcia completed her measure and broke off with a laugh well granton what's the matter angelo has taken master gerald's pony to palestrina to be shod and both of the carriages are to be used so the other men will be needed for them and there isn't any one left to ride with you marcia's smile changed to a frown how stupid angelo has no business to go off without saying anything mr copley left orders for him to have the pony shod he's not mr copley's groom he's mine yes miss said granton marcia went on slowly downstairs her frown gathering volume as she proceeded she wished to take a horseback ride and she wished nothing else for the moment she foresaw that her aunt would propose that she ride into tivoli and take tea with the contessa if there was one thing she hated it was to ride at a steady jog trot beside the carriage and if there was a second thing it was to take tea with the contessa she heard mrs copley's and gerald's voices in the salon and she advanced to the doorway aunt catherine i'm furious this is the first time in four days that it has stopped raining long enough for me to go out and i'm dying to take a gallop in the country that miserable angelo has gone off with gerald's pony and there isn't another man on the place that can go with me you needn't propose my riding into tivoli to take tea with the contessa for i won't do it she delivered this outburst from the threshold and as she advanced into the room she was slightly disconcerted to see lawrence sybert lazily pulling himself from a chair to greet her if she ever showed in a particularly bad light sybert was sure to be at hand he bowed his face politely grave but there was the provoking suggestion of a smile not far below the surface and as she looked at him marcia had the uncomfortable feeling that her own face was growing red i'm sorry about angelo my dear said mrs copley i didn't know that you wanted to ride this afternoon but here is mr sybert who has come out to see your uncle and your uncle won't be back till evening i'm sure he will be glad to go with you marcia glanced back at her aunt with an expression which said oh aunt catherine wait till i get you alone certainly miss marcia i should be delighted to fill the recreant angelo's place he affirmed but in a tone which to her ear did not express any undue eagerness thank you mr sybert she smiled sweetly you are very kind but i shouldn't think of troubling you i know that aunt catherine would like to have you go with her to call on the contessa if you will permit it miss marcia i will ride with you instead for though i should be happy to call on contessa torranieri with mrs copley i have just driven out from tivoli 
and by way of change i should prefer not driving back it's awfully kind of you to offer but i don't really want to ride i was just cross with angelo for going off without saying anything marcia remonstrated mrs copley that doesn't sound polite sybert laughed there is nothing miss marcia he declared that would give me more pleasure this afternoon than a gallop with you and with your permission he touched the bell marcia shrugged her shoulders and gave the order as pietro appeared send word to the stables for kentucky lil and triumvirate to be saddled at once you may go upstairs and borrow as much of howard's wardrobe as you wish said mrs copley i dare say you did not come prepared to play the part of groom i'll try not to get them muddier than necessary he promised as he turned toward the stairs he reappeared shortly in corduroys and leather putties marcia was leaning on the loggia balustrade idly watching the hills while a diminutive stable-boy slowly led the horses back and forth in the driveway sybert helped her mount without a word and they galloped down the avenue in silence he appreciated the fact that she would have preferred staying at home to accepting his escort and the situation promised some slight entertainment a man inclined to be a trifle sardonic can find considerable amusement in the spectacle of a pretty girl who does not wish to talk to him but finds herself in a position where she cannot escape as sybert had been passing a very hard week he was the more willing to enjoy a little relaxation at marcia's expense they pulled their horses to a walk at the gateway and sybert looked at her interrogatively she took the lead and turned to the left along the winding roadway that led up into the mountains away from the via prinestina he rode up beside her again and they galloped on without speaking marcia did not propose to take the initiative in any conversation he could introduce a subject if he wished otherwise they would keep still for the first mile or so he maintained the stolid reserve of a well-trained groom but finally as they slowed the horses to a walk on the steep hillside he broke the silence are we going anywhere or just riding for pleasure just for pleasure he waited until they had reached the top of the hill before renewing the conversation then it is a pleasant day he observed marcia regarded the landscape critically very pleasant she acquiesced looks a little like rain however he added anxiously fixing his eye on a small cloud on the horizon marcia studied the sky a moment with a heroic effort at seriousness and then she began to laugh i suppose we might as well make the best of it she remarked philosophy is the wisest way he agreed have you seen gervasio i have not yet paid my respects to him he is well i trust he is simply a walking appetite i thought he showed a tendency that way mrs copley says that you have been suffering persecution for his sake did she tell you about his stepfather that's my story she ought to have left it for me i can tell it much more dramatically it was quite an adventure wasn't it it was and you got off easily it might have turned out to be more of an adventure than you would have cared for oh i like adventures when they're ended safely yes but these italian peasants are a revengeful lot when they get it into their heads that they have been mistreated i don't believe you ought to drive about the country that way i should think that two boys and a groom might be escort enough the pony carriage doesn't accommodate many more nevertheless joking apart i don't think it is safe the country's pretty thoroughly stirred up just at present you're as bad as aunt catherine with her tattooed man as for being afraid of these peasants i know every soul in castel vivalanti and they're all adorable with the exception of gervasio's relatives if i were your uncle he observed 
i should prefer a niece readier to take suggestions i am ready to take his suggestions but you're not my uncle no said sybert i am not and-and what marcia asked he laughed i believe we declared an amnesty did we not do you think it is best to reopen hostilities it strikes me that there has been more or less light skirmishing in spite of the amnesty at least there has been no serious damage done on either side i would suggest if heavy firing is to be recommenced that we postpone it until the ride home very well let's talk some more about the weather it seems to be the only subject on which we can agree sybert bowed gravely it's been rather rainy for the last week very the villa must have been a little damp very and rather monotonous very marcia laughed and gave the dialogue a new turn i spent the time reading indeed the egoist meredith don't you find him a trifle er for rainy weather you know i found the egoist she returned a most suggestive work it throws interesting sidelights on the men one knows oh come miss marcia he remonstrated that's hardly fair you slander us you mustn't blame me you must blame the author it's a man who wrote it he should be regarded as a traitor in case he is captured and brought into camp i shall order him shot at sunrise he doesn't accuse all men of being sir willoughby's she returned soothingly i hadn't thought of you in exactly that connection if you choose to wear the coat you have to put it on yourself we'll say then that it doesn't fit and i'll resemble the other fellow the daniel deronda one what's his name whitfield whitford whitford it will be remembered was the dark horse who came in at the finish and captured the heroine marcia laughed i really can't say that the other fits any better i'm afraid you're not in the book mr sybert they came to a fork in the roads and drew rein again which way he asked she paused and looked about they were already far up in the mountains and towering ahead nearer and clearer now on the crest of a still higher ridge rose the old monastery she could see from her window she pointed with her whip to the gaunt pile of grey stone against the sky is that your destination he asked is it too far i've been wanting to see it closer ever since we came to the villa he studied the distance i should judge it's about seven kilometres in a straight line but there's no telling how long the road takes to get there we can try it though and if you're not in a hurry to get home we may reach it at any rate there's nothing to prevent our turning back if we find it's too far she suggested oh yes one can always turn back he agreed one can always turn back the words caught marcia's attention and she repeated them to herself they seemed to carry an inner meaning and she commenced weighing anew her feelings toward paul could she turn back was it not too late no if she were on the wrong road the sooner the better but was she on the wrong road there were no guide-posts the end was hidden by a turning she rode on forgetting to talk with a shadow on her face and a serious light in her eyes well sybert inquired would you like my advice i'm afraid it's not a matter you can help me with she returned with a quick laugh they pushed up farther up into the hills between groves of twisted olive trees and sloping vineyards through fields dyed blue and scarlet with forget-me-nots and poppies all nature was green and glistening after the rain and the mountain breeze blew fresh against their faces neither could be insensible to the influence of the day their talk was light and free and glancing mere badinage 
but it occasionally struck a deeper note and holding for an instant half reluctantly let it go marcia had never known sybert in this mood she had not as she realized known him in any in all their casual intercourse of the past few months they had scarcely exchanged a single idea he was an unexplored country and his character held for her the attraction of the unknown sybert on his side glanced at her curiously from time to time as she flung back a quick reply with him first impressions died hard he had first seen marcia at a tea the centre of a laughing group with all the room paying court to her she was pretty and attractive faultlessly gowned thoroughly at ease he had in his thirteen seasons met many women who played many parts and the somewhat cynical conclusion he had carried away from the experience was that if a woman be but young and fair she has the gift to know it but as he watched her now he wondered suddenly if she were quite what he had thought her it struck him that what he had regarded as over-sophistication was rather the pseudo-sophistication of youth her occasional crudeness but the crudeness that comes back from lack of experience she knew nothing of life outside the carefully closed confines of her own small world and yet he recognized in her a certain reckless spirit of daring of curiosity toward the world that responded to a chord in his own nature he had seen it the night they found gervasio it was in her face now as she galloped along against the wind with her eyes raised to the half-ruined towers of the medieval monastery he had not been very lenient toward her he knew and her scarcely veiled antagonism had amused him he felt now as he watched her a momentary impulse to draw her out to mould the direction of her thoughts to turn her face a new way after a wild gallop along the crest of a hill she drew up laughing to steady her hair which threatened to come tumbling down about her ears she dropped the rein loosely on the horse's neck in order to leave both hands free and sybert reached over and took it see here young lady he remonstrated you're going to take a cropper some day if you ride like that she glanced back with a quick retort on her lips but his expression disarmed her he was not watching her with his usual critical look she changed the words into a laugh do you know what you make me feel like doing mr sybert giving lil the reins and galloping down that hill there with my hands in the air perhaps i would be better to keep the reins in my own hands was his cool proposition i never knew anyone who could rouse so much latent antagonism in a person as you can you never say a word but i feel like doing exactly the opposite it's well to know it i shall frame my future suggestions accordingly marcia settled her hat and stretched out her hand he returned the reins with a show of doubt can i trust you to restrain your impulses he inquired with his eyes on the declivity before them she gathered up the reins but made no movement to go on instead she half turned in the saddle and looked behind they were on the shoulder of a mountain below them smaller foothills receded tier below tier until they sank imperceptibly into the level plain of the campagna ahead of them the bare sabines stretched in broken ridges backed in the distance by two snow peaks of the apennines everywhere was the warmth of colouring the brilliant hues of an italian spring italy is beautiful isn't it marcia asked simply yes he agreed italy is cursed with beauty she turned her eyes inquiringly from the landscape to him a nation of artists models he exclaimed half contemptuously because of their fatal good looks the italians can't be allowed to be prosperous like any other people perhaps she suggested 
their beauty is a compensation they are poor i know but don't you think they know how to be happy in spite of it they are too easily happy that's another curse but you surely don't want them to be unhappy she remonstrated since they have to be poor shouldn't you rather see them contented certainly not they have nothing to be contented with but i don't see that it makes any difference what you are contented with so long as you are contented he looked at her with a half smile nonsense miss marcia you know better than that when people are contented with their lot does their lot ever improve do you think the italian people ought to be happy you have seen the way they live or no he broke off you don't know anything about it yes i do she returned i know they're poor horribly poor but they seem to get a good deal of pleasure out of life in spite of it he shook his head you can't convince me with that argument have you never heard of a holy discontent that's what these people need and he added grimly some of them have got it a holy discontent she repeated what a terrible thing to have it's like living for revenge oh well he shrugged a man must live for something besides his three meals a day he can live for his family she suggested yes if he has one otherwise he must live for an idea she glanced at him sidewise she would have liked to ask what idea he lived for but it was a question she did not dare to put instead she commented it's queer isn't it how the ideas that men used to live for have passed away chivalry and crusading and going to war and living as hermits i really don't see what's left the most of the old ideals are exploded he agreed but we have new ones to-day sufficiently bad to meet the needs of the present century a man can make a god of his business for instance marcia shifted her seat a trifle uneasily as she thought of her father who certainly did make a god of his business it may have struck sybert that it was not a propitious subject for he added almost instantly and there's always art to fall back upon but you don't object to that she remonstrated no it's good enough in its way he agreed but it doesn't go very deep artists would tell you then that it isn't the true art i dare say he shrugged but at best there are a good many truer things what for instance well three meals a day marcia laughed and then she inquired suppose you knew a person mr sybert who didn't care for anything but art who just wanted to have the world beautiful and nothing else what would you think not much he returned what would you i think that you go a great deal farther in the other extreme not at all he maintained i am granting that art is a very fine thing only there are so many more vital issues in life that one doesn't have time to bother with it much however i suppose it's a phase one has to go through with in italy oh i've been through with it too he added i used to feel that botticelli and giorgioni and the rest of them were really important but you got over it she inquired yes i got over it one does marcia laughed again mr sybert she said i think you are an awfully queer man you are so sort of unfeeling in some respects and feeling in others miss marcia you strike me as an awfully queer young woman for exactly the same reasons they had come to a curve in the road and under an overhanging precipice hollowed out of the rock was a little shrine to the madonna and beside it a rough iron cross some poor devil has met his fate here said sybert and he reined in his horse and leaned from his saddle to make out the blurred inscription traced on the bars 
felice buconi in the year eighteen forty at this spot received death at the hand of an assassin pray for his soul he translated poor fellow it's a tragedy in italy to meet one's death at the hands of an assassin why more in italy than any other place because one dies without receiving the sacrament and has some trouble getting into heaven oh she returned i suppose when gervasio's father wished that i might die of an apoplexy he was not only damning me for this world but for the world to come exactly an apoplexy in italy is a comprehensive curse i think she commented that i prefer a religion which doesn't have a purgatory purgatory he returned has always struck me as quite superior to anything the protestants offer it really gives one something to die for i should think for the matter of that that heaven direct would give one something to die for what for instance golden paving stones eternal sunshine and singing angels oh not necessarily just those things they're merely symbolical at least said sybert perfect peace and beauty and happiness and nothing beyond you needn't tell me miss marcia that you want to spend an eternity in any such place as that it might do for a vacation a villagetura but forever probably angels ideas of happiness are more settled than men's in that case angels must be infinitely lower than men to be happy in a place that has reached the end that stands still would require a very selfish man and i don't see why not a very selfish angel to settle down contentedly to an eternity of bliss while there's still so much work to be done in the world i suppose she suggested that when you get to be an angel you forget about the world and leave all the sorrow and misery behind a fool's paradise he maintained they were suddenly aroused from their talk by a peal of thunder they looked up to see that the sun had disappeared sybert's small cloud on the horizon had grown until it covered the sky well miss marcia he laughed i'm afraid we are going to get a wedding to pay for our immersion in philosophy and art shall we turn back if we're going to get wet anyway she said i should prefer seeing the monastery first since we've come so far she looked across the valley in front of them where not half a mile away the walls rose grim and gaunt amid a cluster of cypresses you can see about as much from here as you could if you went any nearer he returned i should advise you to look and run as he spoke a cool wind swept up the valley swaying the olive trees and turning their leaves to silver a flash of lightning followed and a few big drops splashed in their faces we're in for it marcia exclaimed as she struggled to control kentucky lil who was quivering and plunging sybert glanced about quickly the flying clouds overhead and an ominous orange light that had suddenly settled down upon the landscape betokened that a severe mountain storm was at hand they would be drenched through before they could reach the monastery which after all might not prove a hospitable order to ladies he presently spied a low stone building nearer at hand on the slope of the hill they had just left behind we'd better make for that he said pointing it out with his whip though it hasn't a very promising look it will at least be a shelter until the storm is over End of chapter twelve read by celine major